Welcome in to another episode of Home Field Advantage. Hope you're having a great week or weekend wherever you may be and however you may be listening across our great country or our great land. I know it is sort of a off-season of sorts when it comes to sports news and topics with the NFL wrapping up last weekend. However, we brought in old friend Jackson Winslow this week to discuss lots of different topics, especially those in the college athletics world. So I hope you enjoy this coming episode, my conversation with Jackson. Uh, Every time I talk to him, I always seem to learn something more about the college sports world that I did not know before. So it was a really fun episode, really fun time uh, talking to start off especially the baseball season as we're getting into the late winter and early spring. So without further ado, here is our February 20th episode of Home Field Advantage with Jackson Winslow featured on the program. All right, so we'd like to welcome back into Home Field Advantage Jackson Winslow. He was on our program way back in August. A lot of water has gone under the bridge since then in the sports world. Jackson, how are you doing today? Good, Will. How are you doing? I hope you're surviving this cold winter. I'm trying my best. We're both Mainers, um, just so the audience knows. So we we certainly, both of us, have a lot of experience uh, in this season, despite the fact that Jackson spent four years in Tuscaloosa. Now, I think that's a good way to introduce you even more, is uh, he is our resident college sports expert here uh, with Home Field Advantage, so we're happy to have him on for that reason. But the last time you were on, Jackson, we each one of us had predictions that turned out to be pretty accurate. Um, mine was that the Rams were going to win the Super Bowl, um, or at least be in the Super Bowl, and that turned out to be true. Um, I honestly thought the Buccaneers might be in the Super Bowl as the NFC uh, representative instead, but there we are, the Rams win the Super Bowl, but yours I think was a little bit more impressive than mine. Michigan ended up being a uh, college football playoff team, so I know it didn't end well for your Crimson Tide, but how did you think the college football playoff went as a uh, as a whole this past uh, January? And the call uh, from the games that I watched, the two playoff games, the championship game, they were more or less what you expected. The SEC to dominate and then have a fairly competitive championship game. Um, I don't think, and again, either team, it depended on who I think could have been who got the ball last, but with Alabama losing both their big number one quarterbacks or not quarterbacks, number one and number two receivers over the last three games of the season. They were just at an advantage. Usually it's next one steps up, but when you're down three, four players, it doesn't happen necessarily that often. And uh, like Nick Saban came out this week and said there were guys that didn't step up that should have been. But overall, seeing a couple different teams with getting Michigan and Cincinnati in there, I think was great for the college football playoffs there and may even could roll into our discussion we have lined up here. Oh, absolutely. It's a great segue. Um, I think you're absolutely right when it comes to the uh, getting a Big Ten squad other than Ohio State in the mix, also getting a uh, group of five school in the mix uh, was great uh, for the playoff. Um, But as you just alluded to, there was a vote about the playoff expansion That's been a topic really ever since the playoff was introduced. People have since been talking about making it bigger. Um, So want to tell us a little bit about how that uh, vote went down and what you think uh, the reasons being behind it were. And so uh, according to this week, all the uh, conferences in uh, the FBS level there, uh, the bowl and playoff level, uh, there was a vote for the college football expansion to expand to 12 teams, which would would be interesting going from four to 12. I assume you'd probably have top four teams get a buy and someone gets home at on-campus home games. But what you saw this week uh, was a no vote and three teams voted or three conferences voted no. And from my understanding, you need, needed to be unanimous. 
but you, your no votes were ACC, Pac-12, and the Big Ten. And what makes those three teams significant voting no is that they were the ones that formed this college football alliance in August. If you see that, um, the ACC commissioner came out and made a statement. So part of the reason why he voted no was because there's been too many changes over the last three to four years. Uh, with the name image likeness ruling, you don't know what that could do. Still, they're trying to figure that out. The, the transfer portal itself being just out there, and you can see that the, uh, and you think part of this no vote, it was brought up when I was listening to radio earlier, that the SEC bringing in Texas and Oklahoma, they were thought you would have seen this expanded if the SEC wasn't getting their power. And you think this is more or less a power struggle in the uh, power five. Yeah, I, I tend to agree there too. And that's something you and I talked about way back in August. And it's certainly not changed after this season. If anything, um, it sort of took a hit, you know, given that you didn't have, uh, you didn't have a big 12 team or a uh, Pac-12 team um, in the in the playoff, you know, you had two SECs, a Big Ten, and then a group of five school. I forget what conference Cincinnati is in, um, but I think I think you're you're right when it comes to the when it comes to the future is you know when you look at SEC and how much power they're going to retain, uh, especially when it comes to TV, the kinds of games they're going to be able to line up any given Saturday throughout the fall especially with Oklahoma and Texas. Those are, I mean, if you've ever been to Norman or Austin, uh, I haven't, uh, but those look like places where college football rules. Um, so they're bringing in big fan bases. They're bringing in uh, all the TV um, and everything that goes along with it. So I can see why some other conferences would be a little bit scared of the SEC getting even more powerful than it is. Um, you know, and if, if those playoffs were to expand, who's to stop the SEC from, you know, if it's a 12-team field, who's stopping the SEC from sending six teams? I mean, you could theoretically see Alabama, Georgia, maybe Oklahoma, maybe LSU, uh, Florida, anybody on a given year um, head, you know, and get into that 12-team playoff, um, even if those teams end up with two losses. Um, yeah. So I can see why the other conferences would be would be a little bit scared. But in my opinion – uh, you know, if you're an ACC team, if you're a Pac-12 team, if you're a Big 12 school, uh, sorry, a Big 10 school, uh, I mean, the Big 10, the big, a, big 10, a Big 10 school and the people that go, go and vote on behalf of them should want an expanded playoff. Because if you've looked at the Big 10 this past season, I thought the Big 10 overall might have been the second best conference easily behind the uh, SEC. You know, you had Iowa was in the mix. Uh, Penn State was in the mix late in the year. Uh, Ohio State is always going to be in the mix. You had Michigan, Michigan State always going to hang around. So I don't know why the Big Ten wouldn't want to have an expanded playoff, but maybe they're just too fearful of the SEC getting too powerful. It's that. And I think actually this was a nugget I caught uh, this afternoon is the Big Ten has their TV deal expiring at the end of 2022-2023 sports season. So they'll have a new contract starting in July 2023 with the SEC signing a massive one last year with ESPN. This sets up uh, Big Ten to pretty much have their next pick. But I think part of the reason too is if we're talk, talk, continue talking about the TV deals is ESPN has the rights to the college football playoff. So I think, I don't know if that's something that some of the teams or may want to figure out if they expand beyond four or six in the playoffs is who, which channel are you going to be on? Are we going to be able to get whatever? I think the uh, TV deals is pretty big along with the playoffs itself. Absolutely. I mean, you look at what the NFL is able to do on a weekly basis early on in the playoffs with four networks, essentially. Um, and I don't think that would ever happen in college football. I think you're probably looking at maybe a CBS, a Fox and a uh, ABC 
aka ESPN. I don't think NBC would ever get involved in college football beyond Notre Dame at this point or FCS. But to me, I think that you're absolutely right when it comes to what the Big Ten is going to do with their TV. Um, because, you know, right now they've kind of like fo- the Fox Big Noon kickoff. It's like, uh, which is the big, that's the Big Ten, right? Big Noon. Yeah, Big yeah. Ten, because uh, well, ESP or uh, Fox's current, or Big Ten's current contract, Fox gets their big game. Right. ESPN gets game two, but they're not allowed to show any or any Big Ten games on ESPN Network. They all going to be on ABC. ABC. Right. Yeah, and see, that's the kind of thing that if you expand to twelve, if you expand to twelve um, teams, what's going to end up happening is somebody like Alabama is going to host a uh, if might get a buy, right? So they're not going to host immediately. Um, but then you've got a team that's like a five school. Let's say that's LSU or Georgia, and you're the five seed and you're hosting the 12 at home on your campus, on your SEC campus. Well, ESPN is going to want that game because it's an SEC home game, yeah. right? But if it's negotiated that uh, CBS gets that game, for example, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to get all crazy, much like what happened this past year in the NFL season when a lot of people were like, why are, uh, why are Jim and Tony doing San Francisco and Dallas instead of Joe Buck and Troy Aikman? And the reason why is because CBS had paid for that time slot between those two teams, and it just so happened you know, to be two NFC uh, two NFC. Um, teams so that's going to happen in college football if there's expansion and you know with how lucrative it is um we both know where that's going to go it's going to end up going the way of streaming you're going to probably not end up being able to watch stuff unless you have espn plus or peacock or whatever the hell else there is um Mm -hmm. or paramount and so that's definitely down the pipeline and i think that's another reason why this expansion vote was such a big deal yeah and then um this is a point too that I've read. Um, the they were talking. If you do a twelve team, you'll have teams that will end up playing possibly sixteen or seventeen games a season. That's as long as the NFL season. As before, you're playing twelve to fourteen games right now. Um, this something someone brought up is: Have we? No one's talked to any of the players. The players feel that we should expand. Because if you if a player thinks, no, we're good with four, we don't want to play three more games this year. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because even if those top four get a bye, you're still looking at, let's say, a seven seed ends up getting to the championship game. Uh, that would be a great day for college football if something like that ever happened. Um, but – you know, they play a home game, then they play a semifinal, then they play a final. Um, so, I mean, they're playing an additional three games rather than an additional two. Um, you know, it's a great money grab for the conferences and the schools. But as you said, how are you going to balance that? Because these are student athletes that around the same time are on, they're finishing up their semester, it's holiday break, it's like, it's the holidays. It's different than the NFL is where, you know, all these, all these playoff stuff happens in January and February. Um, but the later you push also the later you push a college football season, the later um, you are playing is the more apt you are to compete uh, with the NFL for eyes. And we know that the NFL late in December really likes flexing out their schedule while everyone's home. Um, so that's a, that's a huge uh, portion of it too. And the other, the last thing I'd mention is, um, you know, it's not as simple as just saying, okay, well, we'll just push the season back into August uh, and start earlier. Um, Because I mean, this, this is play, this sport is played in very different climates, right? Like in the, up in the Northeast in the ACC or up in the, Midwest of the Big Ten, having a game in mid-August is not a problem. Uh, in early August, it's not a problem. Um, you know, it's going to be 70 degrees. But if you're playing 
in, uh, as you well know, in the deep south in early August, and it's the humidity's at 80%. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, you're playing at 90 degree temperatures. Yeah. That is not a recipe for a good football product. Um, so I think that there's definitely a balance that has to get uh, get looked at here. It's like, yeah, I definitely can tell you because it was early, early season, mid midday September, Saturday afternoon games, and you're sitting in the sun, it's 90 degrees, 85% humidity, absolutely sucks for the fans. I couldn't imagine being on the sideline, adrenaline pumping, wearing 50 pounds of maybe probably not that much anymore, but just weight, your excess weight of pads and stuff. What's your helmet? Yeah. All that. I'm like, I, I'm like, I don't know how these players aren't passing out on the sideline. And then and two, especially at Alabama, and when we're playing an FCS or a group of five team, half the fans left at halftime because they couldn't, couldn't survive the game. Or at least the students did. But that was probably also for some other reasons too. <laughs> Absolutely, they need to get hydrated. Uh, and what kind? You know, what kind of, uh, what kind of product is the NCAA and you know these big conferences trying to put out? You know, are and also. Who, no one is really amped up for football in early, early August. I think right around the time you like turn the corner and it's like maybe August 20th, people start to get ramped up for football. But, you know, they, it's not like they could try and get it all wrapped up by the new year. Um, I mean, if you were going to really expand this, you would they would have to be very strategic and they might have to do something drastic like shorten the regular season or next championship weekends, which yeah. the lower conferences would hate. Like yeah. if you're Conference USA or you're the Sun Belt or you're the Mac or anybody, you would look at that and say, no way in hell are we shortening our season or getting rid of our conference championship games. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's more of a calendar. It's calendar logistics. It's TV logistics. And it's just a complete mess. Well, yeah, I think there's that. And then but for the expansion of the playoffs, the whole thing. Um, there is because you've had the dominance but i think like you said those smaller conferences if they change anything to the season they're going to be the ones that hurt because they're no longer going to get the pay the pay to lose games the lesser games on the schedule means lesser tickets or whatever so i think you'll see those conferences be out a couple million dollars a year Right. And w why would college football want to, you know, squeeze the sponge so tightly, so to speak, that it would run, it would make, it would water down certain parts of the regular season that everyone likes, such as rivalry week or conference championship week, or the fact that Army Navy is all by itself uh, a couple weeks after, you know, like there are certain parts of the college football season that, I mean, you're telling me that like the Iron Bowl or the Army Navy game or the Battle of Michigan or any of that is uh, well, not as not as interesting to certain parts of the country as a playoff game. I mean, yeah, that sure. you you definitely deem expanding to twelve. The SEC championship game this year would have been meaningless because Alabama and Georgia would have already been it. Because this year Alabama was one loss. That wasn't a great. They lost a and it didn't look great at the end of the year. If they lost to Georgia, they would have been out and they stepped up to beat Georgia in Atlanta. Right. And yeah, the conference championship games go, go a long way. I mean, look how, you know, Michigan ended up. Yeah. They beat Ohio state late in the season that helped them get in, but they also got in cause they were the conference champ. So uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely to me, almost as valuable as an extra playoff game is having that later drama. So I don't, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't like moving it to 12. I think you could move it to eight and it would be fine. Um, I think you could move it to eight. You could have uh, an automatic qualifying for the five conference championships from the power five, five. plus two at large bids and one group of five, no matter what. Yeah, and, I've always, I've always thought six would be perfect, but um, everyone wants to expand this because of the dominance of Alabama and the SEC. 
And I kind of want to compare that to the FCS, which you also have. That's been pretty crazy because 2013, they expanded it to a 2014 playoff. How many teams have won since 2013? One. <laughs> pretty much. I, I, I think there were three total, but the 2020 season, 2020, 2021 FCS season was so unorganized that I'd almost rule that out. But uh, North Dakota State has won seven times, the championship seven times, made it all every year other than 2020, and it's been a 2014 playoff. Oh, yeah, that's, to- that's a, probably the best argument against it. And also, I mean, let's be real. People can complain about being sick of watching Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State and Oklahoma in these late uh, playoff games, which is fine. I mean, but we've also seen Washington. We've seen Cincinnati. We've seen other teams. I mean, I will also say that in the FCS discussion, people are kind of tired of Eastern Washington and North Dakota State and James Madison. And, and, you know, it's like it's – well, they won't have to worry about that's much won't have to, yeah. they won't have to worry about James Madison anymore. But North Dakota State's, I think, here to stay in that FCS because they're cranking out quarterbacks and championships. Well, yeah, I think of a few years ago when Maine Maine made it to the final four and everyone like lost their mind. But you know, I mean that that stuff just doesn't really happen in uh FCS football either. I mean, um, I think you'll have one one team that surprises people make it eight and four, but for the eight round of eight or round of four, but still you're going to have Eastern Washington, North Dakota state, South Dakota state, just run it around. And I think if you expanded yeah, it, it's pretty good too. Um, yeah, totally. I, I, I agree. I agree whole, wholeheartedly with that. Um, uh, William and Mary uh, was pretty good back in the day. So was Hofstra when they saw had football. Uh, all right, we're not going to bore our listeners talking to FCS football. But that, um, that's just the argument I've, I've liked to use. Everyone's like, oh, it's great to compare it to college basketball. I said college basketball is a total different sport. Compare it to the FCS. Right. If you're going to compare tournaments. It totally, it totally is. And I think that FCS is – and we're, this is a good transition. FCS college football, uh, Division two IA, whatever they call it, is um, more like college baseball than it is division FBS. And, um, you know, this leads into our college baseball discussion that, um, you know, as a, you know, as a baseball fan, college baseball does a very good job of having good parity year in and year out. Now people will look and they'll look at Vanderbilt and Virginia and uh, South Carolina or Duke or uh, sorry, or uh, North Carolina, I should say, in recent years and say, oh, well, those those schools are the better schools or, the, you know, but I've, I, you know, if you look back, there's been a lot of different champions. I mean, we've had Coastal Carolina one year, you had, uh, you had Florida one year, um, you know, you Virginia a couple of times, Vanderbilt a couple of times. I mean, there's been a different champion a lot. Um, so it's a similar structure to FCS football, but we've had a different champion. What do you make of college baseball and it's parody or non-parody, not relative to football, but just in general. But then thinking about um, college baseball, I think what makes college baseball a decent like parody is the recruiting. One of them is because you look at, uh, couple of these big schools will have someone picked out uh, their freshman or sophomore, junior baseball. And then all of a sudden that kid goes second or the top three rounds in the MLB. So I think with that, you, you get the schools that don't always land their prospects because they decide to go pro and you get the kids that develop later, which end up going to like schools that like coastal Carolina, and there, I think, looking at the parity of players coming in, it's more or less the recruiting on the road. Yeah, I think the recruiting in college baseball is probably, I mean, of any of 
the big time college sports. I mean, if you compare it, I know I told I told you I didn't want to compare it, but if you compare it to the recruiting that goes on in basketball, both men's and women's basketball, compare it to the recruiting that goes on in football, um, and the recruiting that goes on in you know Division One men's ice hockey, even uh, it's it's um it's more it's it's more you're more likely to have a team come out of nowhere and win it all like. Last year, Mississippi State was a good team all year long in the SEC. Um, you know, they they had good pitching all year long. Um, but, you know, once you got to Omaha, you know, you were looking at Tennessee. You were looking at Vanderbilt. You were looking at some of the teams that were hot at the end of the year. Maybe uh, A&M's always in the conversation, too. So is uh, Louisiana Lafayette and, every, and all those other schools. Uh, but then suddenly, you know, Mississippi State comes out of nowhere and, you know, they just play really, really well when it matters most. So I think recruiting has a big thing to do with it when you have uh, when you can develop pitchers. Um, So I think in college baseball, if you can find a guy, maybe redshirt him and then maybe, you know, have him late, have him stick around. Um, you know, that's, you look at what Vanderbilt was able to do last year with Kamar Rocker and Jack Layer, both in their, uh, stabs, you know, that's a huge, uh, huge asset to have. Um, but speaking of Vanderbilt, I know you had a thought about Vanderbilt in particular and how they might actually play into the, um, inequality in college baseball. Yeah. Cause, um, we joke around call this Vanderbilt, um, advantage, but, um, if for those that you don't know or people that don't pay attention to college baseball, college baseball is only allowed to give out 11.7 scholarships through over 27 players. And each player has, can only get or a minimum of 0.25 of a scholarship, quarter of a scholarship. Luckily, a few years ago, they changed it to where you could get both need-based and sport. It used to be you could only get one or the other. But with Vanderbilt, they have, with them being private school and being a higher up, they get uh, have a program that's called Opportunity Vanderbilt, which will help with cost. If your family can't afford to go to Vanderbilt, they look at you and will go, hey, you can't go, so we'll give you a need-based scholarship. But it's, it's essentially that. There's no loans, no nothing. So they can more or less give have a full roster of scholarship players which where most teams alabama has 11 7 some of the other or all the other schools have 11 7 and i think vanderbilt which is why they crank out those they had david price and all those well-known mlb players is because they essentially fill their roster with anyone and they give them scholarships. So. Yeah. And they've just been able to build such an empire over the years with all their facilities to being a private school. Um, you know, I get that. I get that Vanderbilt is just also, they, they recruit differently. Like they recruit a lot of Northeastern kids that some schools in the South neglect. Um, so if you look at Vanderbilt's roster over the years, some of their best players are kids from New York City or Boston or Pennsylvania or uh, anywhere in the Northeast. Um, and it's different, you know, than a school like uh, Louisiana Lafayette, right? They're getting guys from the Gulf Coast, and that's about it um, that I know of. I mean, I'm just speaking, you know, gen- generically here. You could l- probably look at their roster and find some kids from California or Florida too, but um, yeah, Vanderbilt's just, they're, they're more uh, progressive when it comes to their recruiting, um, as you mentioned, but they're also, you know, very uh, traditional in their, uh, you know, the way that Corbin coaches and the amount of, uh, it's almost sort of like a Belichickian or a Saban-like atmosphere uh, at Vanderbilt. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons why they're always going to be in that um, in that conversation. But, um, you know, I think another thing that college baseball benefits from uh, is it benefits from 
relatively low barriers to entry for fans. Um, you know, it's a lot, probably a lot cheaper to go to a baseball game than a football game as a student. It's a lot, uh, it's a lot easier to find, um, it's a lot easier to find, uh, find it on TV during the, uh, during the month of June. It seems like it's always on TV. I mean, it's, it's hard to find um, some of these other non-basketball or football related college sports on TV um, at a consistent basis. So I think college baseball benefits from that. Um, and I don't, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that being someone who went to a big time school. I'll tell you, I went to a baseball uh, school, so to speak, <laughs> uh, that had gone 0-25 in conference play the year before I went, and I still got cut from the team. So I don't, I don't know much about uh, I don't know much about um, it from a Division three level, but I'm sure you went to going I mean, to a Division one school know a little bit more about it from that regard. Yeah, because I mean, definitely down the big D one schools down south, they have decent student sections, and they I they cater baseball towards the students in some area. Uh, the student section for Alabama was unofficially part of the stadium to get around the SEC rule, alcohol rule, when they built the stadium. So we had to check in, but it was like, you could bring in your own beer, which <laughs> is what like enticed people to come to the games is, oh, we'll pregame bar watch. And, but with it being part of the stadium, we're still able to harass or not really harass, so mess with and, uh, chat with the right fielder, play the one-two game or left-right game, whatever it is, whoever, and just holler random questions at them. Yeah, well, I think college baseball benefits from that atmosphere because it has, like, the intimacy of college basketball with it being that you can get close. But, like, sort of the atmosphere of college football where uh, you're in uh, – you're outside, it's usually warmer weather – and uh, you're you're having a good time. So I think I think the culture of college baseball in terms of being a fan is definitely something that this country and baseball fans in our country can get better at embracing um, because I mean the MLB lockout is still going on. It, we don't know if we're going to have a season, but we do know we have a college season um, that doesn't get a lot of love, and that's going on right now. Yeah, I'd say definitely say because I know half the Alabama games are on SEC Plus, so ESPN Plus, most of the SEC, you can stream it. Uh, the other cool thing that I was able to do is you can pick up, I think it was varsity net, the varsity app and listen to pretty much any college baseball game, which I think is good. But because, as I said, for the second time in three years we're going to have a delayed baseball season mlb anyways right uh, exactly you know in between fs1 and espn plus or just regular espn um you're going to be able to get a lot of college games in the early part of the spring i already saw that uh espn was carrying a lot of the big rivalry series over the next couple months you know, so they'll have Florida, Florida State, they'll have uh, Vanderbilt and Tennessee, and they'll have, um, to, you know, Texas and TCU, or sorry, A&M and TCU. So they'll have a lot of the big ones uh, that happen uh, over the course of the next couple of year, uh, couple of months, I mean. And then by the time the Omaha World Series rolls around, I mean, that's a, that's a staple on ESPN. Um, so I'm looking forward, I'm looking forward to the college baseball season as a fan, you know, just looking at it from afar. Um, and I think another thing that college programs, especially college baseball programs are excelling at is the social media, uh, followings that they're generating. Um, I think that college football programs do a decent job. College basketball programs do a little bit better than football. Um, college hockey programs do okay. Uh, but in terms of like the you know big main popular sports in this country, um, the college baseball 
Instagram and Twitter accounts are all over it with uh, our generation, at least. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. With Twitter being big for our age and stuff. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. With people always going, people go to Twitter and Instagram for their sports content as much as they go to those other, um, you know, actual sports television or websites. I mean, um, no one, no one's watching sports center anymore to get their highlight at six o'clock in the morning. Cause they saw it on Twitter at 1130. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much how it goes. I really, I mean, that's a, that's a very accurate uh, representation of how it goes. Um, now, you know, before we move on and talk about the MLB lockout, uh, you know, I just want to further drive home the point that we've been talking about with college baseball and how much parity there is. Um, you know, I'm going to list you from lowest to highest, meaning, you know, from 25 to one, the rankings, the preseason rankings, according to D1 baseball and how geographically diverse uh, they are. All right between East and West and not so much North and South, but definitely East and West. All right. So we got Miami at 25, Long Beach state at 24. Now would Long Beach state be a factor in any other sport? Probably not. Duke at 23, their basketball school, Dallas Baptist, again, not a factor in any other sport ranked 22nd, Georgia tech, 21, California, Irving, uh, 20, Tennessee, 19. They haven't been relevant in anything but women's basketball in 20 years, all right? Oregon State, 18. TCU, 17. Georgia, 16. Arizona, 15. Texas Tech, 14. Notre Dame, 13. Eastern Carolina, 12, all right? They're not relevant in any other sport. Florida State, 11. NC State, 10. Florida, 9. LSU, 8. Oklahoma State, seven, Stanford, six, Ole Miss, five, Mississippi State, four, Vanderbilt, three, Arkansas, two, and Texas, one. All right, so that is, we basically did a roadmap of uh, the whole country there. So I think, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but that's the sort of drives it home. You yeah. might see that in basketball with, you know, there's a lot of Big East teams in the Northeast, like Nova and whatnot that, you know, aren't relevant, but um but in, 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 in other sports, you don't see that sort of east-west map, roadmap of excellence like you do in college baseball. Yeah, to bring up like that. Other than hockey, Maine's most successful sport has been baseball. They've made, I think, the College World Series seven times. UMaine has anyway. Right, yeah. And in the Northeast especially, I mean, the America East Conference – they people usually don't get on the don't don't get beyond the super regionals, but I mean between Albany and Hartford and uh, Maine and Stony Brook, I mean there's some talent there's some talent up there. And you're right, uh, you you generally think of some of these schools in hockey East, right, that are only really relevant in that one sport. But Maine is actually one where you know we brought up at the beginning of the show they came in fourth in uh, FCS football three years ago. Um, you know, hockey, they're not as good as they were when we were younger, but they're on their way up. You know, they got Ben Barr as a coach, um, you know, but you compare that with some other schools in the, in hockey East, uh, that aren't really good at anything but hockey, but Maine's not, Maine's not the case there. Like Providence college, pretty much a hockey school and nothing else. Right. So yeah, it's good for Maine and Maine, Maine's actually one of those schools I was talking about that does a really good job with their social media. Uh, between Twitter and Instagram and all the uh, effort they put into that. So, all right, now we're going to close out the show here because we're closing in on uh, 45 minutes. And for my listeners, you know that I kind of like to keep it close to that. Um, Do you have any thoughts about the baseball lockout? I asked one of our previous guests this month about that. He said he didn't think the season was going to start on time. Do you share that sentiment? I mean, I'm sure what they need to get for what's come out this week is they said they need to get the negotiations done by Monday to get the season to start on time. They've literally been, I think what gained an inch when they've had to go two miles. 
or whatever, something like that in the negotiations. So there's no way the season's going to start. I he'll probably be. I bet it will be May. My guess would have to be May that the MLB season to start, which absolutely sucks for any baseball fan because COVID aside, we knew it was going to start late, but this is the second time in three seasons where there have been negotiations that have delayed the season later than it needed to be delayed. Right. I I totally agree. And, you know, it's – some fans will say, look, 144 game schedule may be just what the doctor ordered for baseball fans, you know, not too long, a little bit short of a season, but still long enough where, you know, teams can really still be in it in the middle half of the season. But I agree. I mean, when you have two out of three years starting late, uh, you have this, you had disinterest in the sport to begin with, you know, gaining and growing over the years. Um, you have uh, over time people, arguing about rule changes and everything else. And this is just becoming a lit, a laundry, uh, something to add to the laundry list of things that people uh, are pissed at over baseball. You mean the hall of fame, all right, pitch clock, uh, nine inning uh, double headers versus seven inning double headers. You had extra inning rules. I mean, just there's a laundry list of things that baseball fans disagree about. And now you're making it worse because the season going to start late. And it's does this is there the two things I think about is it poor leadership at the MLB level? Is it the commissioner? We got a piss poor commissioner, or do we have greedy owners or a little bit of both? What what's your opinion on that? Well, I think I mean I think the union or the MLB union is one of the most powerful unions in the world, okay? Probably second only to maybe the NFL union right? Uh, in terms of what they're able to yield in terms of negotiating power. Now, if I was a player, yeah, I'd be pissed at the owner, right? If I was like just sort of a neutral player, right? I'd be pissed at the owners, right? As you said, greedy. I'd be pissed at Manfred. Yep. He represents the owners and, you know, he's not really been awesome in his tenure so far. All right. So I'd be pissed at them in the short term, but long-term I would also not, uh, you know, absolve the union from all uh, negativity either, because I mean, their job is to negotiate and their job is to represent the players and get a deal done. And I know that right now it's really the owners and this is, might not be a popular take, but it does take two sides to negotiate. And at the end of the day, it is the union's job to get a deal done more than it is the owners i know that sounds crazy yeah. but the owners they're going to be rich and they're they're still rich right with or without base a baseball season they're, they were still rich even after the 60 game season they're trying to recoup their money i get all that but the well, owners i mean they honestly probably do not care if the season starts a few months late right but the players are going to care and it's the union's job to represent the players and i think some players might get pissed if the union's not fulfilling its obligation to them. Um, but I would tend to agree with you that it's probably more about the greedy owners and the, uh, you know, incompetent leadership than it is about the union. I think the union though, you know, when they come to the negotiating table and then and it lasts 15 minutes, um, if they want to maintain any of the higher ground uh, that they've created in this, in terms of leverage, then it's got to take them faster than five days to come back with a new proposal. Yeah. And the other, the other thing too, is you, they're not releasing the numbers on the uh, owner's votes. So you never know. It could be eight out of the 30 owners that are holding the MLB hostage. Right. Correct. And yeah, it's, it's very different. It's very different. You know, in, you know, I, as critical as I just was of the MLB union, they do historically do a good job in these situations, um, you know, and they have done their job well in terms of getting suspensions lower for steroid users and everything else in the past. And, you know, I, I get it. They've done it. They've done a decent job. However, you're, you're, you're right. It's, it's going to come down. It's really going to come down to, uh, if the owners or the union um, are willing to 
give up some of these other pieces. Like right now, a lot of it is about the luxury tax or uh, arbitration or player service time and stuff. Yeah. But eventually, p- the players union and the owners are going to have to cave a little bit. Uh, I think at this point, though, it's going to come down to how much do the owners want a season. Uh, and how many how many games of ticket sales do they want to lose? Not right. that affects them, but. Yeah, I mean, it, it does affect them, but you're right. It's not going to make or break their uh, ability to own the franchise. Um, you know, they they suffer a lot less from losing 18 games of the regular season than the players would. Uh, sorry, than, yeah, than the players would. But, um, it, yeah, it's just going to come down to every time you pass one of these thresholds, like right now, it's like, okay, well, Pitchers and catchers are supposed to report, and that's over. Okay, well, spring games are supposed to start March 1st. All right, now, once you pass that threshold, the more of them you go by, the more likely it is that the urgency to get a deal done actually gets lower. So owners and union reps are going to be like, well, we've already made it this far without a season, so why why don't we just hold out until we get what we want? Um, and the fans really suffer from that. I mean, that's why the NHL didn't have a season uh, 18 years ago or whatever it was, was because of that exact uh, mindset of, well, we've already missed this much time. So what's another month? You know, yeah. next thing you know, it just snowballs. And that's, that's who's been suffering in baseball last five years. Like you started off this conversation with, with all these rules changes and not getting full seasons in is the fans. Right. Yeah, totally. And I mean, what's the future going to look like? I mean, they they have they have so much going for them. Like there are young stars in baseball that they could that, that people could um, you know gravitate toward. You look at Tatis and Otani on the cover of video games. A guy like Ronald Acuna missed the World Series and his team still won. I mean, there's a lot of star power, young star power in baseball. And it's just a matter of do do people care like i on my friday show i talked about you know people i don't know if people care um you know out like like casual baseball fans i don't know if they're truly going to miss uh the season i'll let you get the last word on that yeah that's i was thinking too is you're really because how many people i don't watch the baseball games on tv well part of it's because i don't get nested but what I enjoy is going to miss is sitting there, sitting around or doing chores and listening to Joe this year. Um, yeah. the Joe and uh, whoever his rotating guests are. Yeah. Yeah. Usually. Yeah. It's, it's really, and it's those guys that it's those guys that are going to suffer too. I mean, cause what are these, what are these play-by-play broadcasters in baseball going to do? You got to think there's at least 180 just for the major league teams. Um, you know, and then you've got, uh, and then you've got uh, all the minor league teams. So, yeah, I mean, I think people are, I think your average fan is going, like what you said, they're going to recognize it when it's a Sunday afternoon in the summer and, you know, it's raining and they want to watch their team play like a four o'clock game, right? People are going to recognize it. Or what's really what is really going to hurt? It's going to hurt youth fans too. Um, you know, it's going to hurt kids who are twelve or thirteen and they're playing little league and they come home and they're so pumped up about little league baseball and they just can't get enough of baseball and then they turn on the TV and there's nothing there. Yeah. So, yeah. So what, uh, what, thankfully, thankfully we have college baseball like we talked I'd about. Say with that, I'd say support college baseball. Go watch them if you can up through uh, June, July. And then, um, and I think it, from what it sounds like, we may have a mi- semi minor league team because I think minor late players reported last week. Yeah, you'll have anybody who's not on a 40 man roster, most likely. Um, so yeah. go to go watch you if, for the listeners around here and say go try to catch a main game or Sea Dogs game instead of support the socks i guess so i hope oh look i hope we're wrong i hope we're wrong i hope it comes back all right jackson before we wrap up any last words on baseball let's just go out watch (laughs) yeah that time of year
Yeah, it is. We're getting closer. We're getting close. It's February 20th already. All right. That's going to do it for our conversation with Jackson. Jackson, thanks for coming on. You're welcome, Will. We'll talk to you next time. All right. Thank you. All right. And there it was. My conversation with Jackson Winslow about college sports and the nature of the beast at large, as I like to say. So I hope you enjoyed that episode. We'll be back uh, throughout the week with the Morning Vantage uh, live on Instagram TV. We'll also be back next weekend with another full pod. Um, as always, you can follow us on Instagram at HomeFieldPod and on Twitter at HomeFieldPod. Uh, we'll be starting a new podcast. Uh, don't worry, this one's not going anywhere, but we'll have a sister podcast coming out in March with Kyle Diesel, who was featured a couple weeks ago, so we hope when that comes out that you'll listen there as well. But in the meantime, please like, share, and subscribe to the podcast, and I hope you all have a great week, and we'll be back again before you know it. This was February 20th, 2022, and you've been listening to Home Field Advantage. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite provider, including Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Also, keep an eye out on Instagram, at HomeFieldPod, for Season 2 of The Morning Advantage, with new episodes live on IGTV every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern, with playback available anytime on demand. HomeField Advantage and The Morning Advantage are presented by Sportland USA, and the opinions shared on them do not reflect those of any other company, outlet, person, or entity.